Welcome to the Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing podcast, where we explore the hottest topics in cyber marketing, interview experts, and help you become a better cybersecurity marketer. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Breaking Through in Cybersecurity Marketing. I'm one of your hosts, Maria Velasquez. With me, joining me today, though she does not sound the same, is my trusty co-host, Giada Whitver with a cold. Today, we're super excited to have a super special guest, of course, with us, uh, Tara Cook, who is Cybersecurity Governance, Risk, and Compliance Manager at Boom Supersonic. Tara, I read a little bit about you, and from what I gathered, you are pure magic, and I can't wait to get into that. But other than GRC, you have an amazing story that we want you to tell today. You are a massive advocate for Black women in tech, and probably Black women in cybersecurity, more precisely, right? You are a child hacker, which is awesome, but... Let me stop talking and let me give you the mic, please. Tell us who you are and thanks for being with us today. Yeah, no problem. So like you mentioned, my name is Tara Cook. Currently, I'm a cybersecurity governance risk compliance manager. I've been in security for 15 years now, which is a really long time. And it's always just very interesting because people don't ever think that I've been in it this long. And sometimes it's weird when I think about it too. As far as how I got into this space, I'm not a very good hacker. I don't even refer to myself as one in any way, shape or form. But back in the good old dial up days where, you know, the internet would tie up phone lines, my dad would go to work and he would say, don't get on the internet when I'm at work because then it ties up the phone lines. And what if I need to contact you? He never actually needed to contact me for anything, but that's neither here nor there. But I would subsequently get on the internet anyway and tie up the phone lines he would call the house to check. And the second that the internet would trip off, I already knew that I was in trouble. So he would go and change all of our passwords to the computer and things. And so then I would instead just spend my time trying to figure out how to get back doors into the computer so I could get back on the internet and get in more trouble, which I don't necessarily recommend. And it's a very tame story in comparison to some folks that I hear getting into security. Yeah, I... Realized I wanted to be in tech from very early in my career before it was even really a thing, I guess. And I'm thankful that I had a lot of teachers throughout my life and just my own family like support me in doing that because it would have been very easy growing up in small town, North Carolina in a predominantly black city for people to be like, no, girls don't do that. Like, go be a nurse or go be a teacher. And they were just like, I don't understand it, but like, that's cool. We'll help wherever we can. So now here I am. Let's get into a little bit about the GRC side of things and where your career started. I mean, I know we just talked about sort of the story of how it all started with your family, but how did you get into GRC? So I went to college and I got what was what I would consider now one of the early cybersecurity degrees. So my background is in network security and we were doing different classes, of course. And there was one that was the National Security Agency Information Assurance Methodology, which is auditing. And I was like, oh my gosh, I love this. And everyone else was like, oh my gosh, this is absolutely horrible. And I'm like, no, that's great. And so when I graduated, I all the audit jobs like required firstborn sacrifice, blood sacrifice, as far as like years of experience. And, you know, I had bills that just needed to get paid being freshly out of school. So I took whatever job that I could get, which 
I, my first job was at the NSA in Department of Defense. So it's not like I just took some run of the mill. I'm very thankful for that being my first experience. So it sounds bad to be like, I took whatever job that I could get when it was a really cool job. And my formal title was information systems security engineer. And I was able to do a lot of really, really interesting stuff while I was there. But I don't remember hearing about any sort of like audit, not saying that they're not getting audited. Let me throw that out there. But like just in my time there, audit stuff never came up in my radar because I was too busy doing other cooler stuff. But I always wanted to still get into the auditing world and see what it was like. So eventually I got reached out, but Ernst and Young reached out to me and they were building up their government and public sector practice and needed folks who had clearances and all that fun jazz. And they were like, Hey, you want to come work here and be an auditor? And I was like, Oh my gosh, yes, I do. It took a couple of years, but I made it. I would say that was probably, so that was 2014 when I got more into at least one aspect of the GRC space doing auditing. And I stayed at Ernst and Young for almost four years or right around four years. And that was when I started getting more broadly into GRC with some of the other jobs that I ended up taking doing analyst work or GRC engineer work, a lot of privacy, a lot of risk, which is great because GRC now, because again, that was 2014, so almost 10 years ago, GRC in these past two or three years is definitely having a moment where, you know, your traditional security jobs of like pen testing or application stuff was five, six years ago. GRC is just starting to get that in the past two to three years where, you know, the government and other just places, people's things are having more focus on like, hey, how are you actually running this? Like, is there something somewhere that's giving you your guidance on how you're doing this. So it's nice seeing people care about it more and having, it's nice to see people care about it more. I could go for people having more passion about it because we do still have our hurdles within the security community that, you know, GRC stuff is not a technical role or I don't know, there's still just not a lot of respect put on it, which I have my own thoughts and feelings about, but whatever. Can I ask you, Tara, what drew you to audit in particular? Like what makes that like so fun and exciting and interesting for you? To me, it's very straightforward. You have this thing, whether it's, you know, insert whatever framework you want. And it literally says, hey, do this thing. But usually every framework, every standard that I've ever seen is still relatively broad for all intents and purposes. So it's like, hey, go do this thing. And you're like, okay, cool. And then you go talk to people and you ask them, well, how are you doing this thing? And you'll get five different answers from five different people for one system or one piece of technology. But it's always fun for me seeing folks have like their aha moments of they're like, oh, this makes so much more sense now on like why we should or should not do it this way or the benefits of doing it this way or why doing access reviews every quarter or whatever is important. And that's the other thing, like people get so tied down and trying to follow the letter of the law for controls when what you need to hit is the spirit of the control. So it's usually just like going back to access reviews. Access reviews need to be done on a regular basis. It's like, great. Well, what does that mean? It can mean a lot of different things. Like how frequently you do them is up to, you know, how big is your company? Where are you doing your reviews? Who are you doing your reviews for? Are they your standard users or are they your admin users or your privileged users, I should say? Is it for 
the whole company or all the systems or just critical systems. Like there's so many different ways that you could go about asking this and depending on scope, address it where you're still doing the thing. Great. And now you just like, go, go do it and go document it. That's the other part. Please make sure you document it. (laughs) Please document. (laughs) It sounds like it's creative because there's an end goal, right? Which is like being compliant. And then there's so many pathways you could take to get there. Because like you said, oops, as my mic falls towards my face, that it's, that it depends on all these different factors. So you kind of are like, I don't want to make it like super creative, but you're like cooking every time. Not like baking. Baking is like, you have to follow like very precise, but it's Speaking like chemistry, science. <laughs> yeah. But you're doing like art, like GRC is art. What it's supposed to do based off how you designed it. That is science. Like it is relatively straightforward and probably programmers will tell me otherwise, which is fair because programming is so like whatever. And then the art of it is you get to be as creative as you want with how you go about doing it. And you can paint your canvas, your picture, your policy, whatever you want to call it to it, whatever medium it is. I don't know. I'm not an art person. I'm not creative in the traditional sense of like, please don't ask me to draw anything. All of my tattoos, people see and they're like, oh, you must be creative. No, I'm not. I tell someone an idea and they execute on it and it's great. But I am creative in the sense as far as I feel like tech is concerned. And I feel like it's important for people to hear creativity and tech do go together and not in the traditional like true again drawing art sense absolutely and you're going to be disappointed tara because at the end of our show we all do a drawing competition i'm just kidding we don't do that (laughs) (laughs) and that's the best i got can i ask you now that you're at this next level in your career you've been in this for 15 plus years you've been doing grc for a while you've gone through the grc you know stages you were an auditor now you're you know doing GRC broader than just auditing at Boom Supersonic. Can I ask you, like, redacted, of course, what do you do, like, at your job? Like, what does your day look like? I'm in a lot of meetings. For, I tell people more recently, like, being a GRC person is like having 12 different jobs because you're, it's such a broad, broad space because you have three totally separate but similar concepts between governance, which is its own bubble, risk, which is its own bubble, and then compliance, which is its own bubble. And they all get like smashed together. So even if you look at it at the super face value, one GRC person will have three different jobs. Um, And then you start like branching them out. And that's why I just was like 12. But a lot of my time is sitting in meetings, talking to people and trying to get us kind of all on the same page as to why we're doing what we're doing or how we should be doing certain things, writing policies, which I actually really enjoy writing policies because again, it it allows me to be creative, but I do not write them in a vacuum or in a silo because it's important for me to go back to the people that actually have to do the work because I'm just like the mastermind puppet master in the background being like, yeah, we're going to do all this stuff. But if people can't do it for technical reasons or things that they're unwilling to commit to, which is totally fine, then we have to work together to figure out, well, what are you willing to commit to? What things can we realistically do that doesn't, is the juice worth the squeeze type of thing? Can you give us an example that doesn't have to be boob supersonic? It could be hypothetical. What's an example of something that you would have, you would want as a policy that then is like, oh, well, it's actually not feasible because of technical or because the rest of the team doesn't want to follow that policy? 
One prime example is always going back. Everything is access reviews. You can go to a company and say, hey, we're going to do privilege access reviews every month. And they have every right to be like, we're not doing that because we have too many people. Therefore, it is too much burden for us to take all 50 people who are admins in our environment and make sure that their access is still up to snuff. So can we push it to every quarter? That's feasible. Or it's not feasible because the team is so small. If you only have three admins, it's too much work, but in a very different way, where it's just like, well, it's only three people. The company is super small. Like there's not enough, there's not enough happening in the environment where stiff is warranted. So it's like, well, can we do it again every quarter? Both are fair and both make sense. It's just, you have to have, for me, it's always, please give me a justification as to why we can't do this. Like, I don't do well with people just being like, no, we're not going to do it. And it's just like, but why? Like, if you can explain to me why in a reasonable manner, we can find somewhere in the middle or segregations of duties, for instance, like there are sometimes what segregations of duties just mean, like if I'm a person who writes a check, I should not also be the person who can approve the amount on the check, or I should not also be able to cash the check. And sometimes in really small companies, though, segregations of duty is very hard to implement either technically because of old software that manages all this stuff. Maybe they don't have the access or the permissions built in the back end to prevent it from happening. So then you have to put in other controls or it's so small and there's only two of you and there's four different roles. So it's just like, you have to make the matrix to make it make sense. And the business ultimately, or whomever has to, they don't have to accept the risk, but then they go through a risk assessment process of, well, if this, then that, and then you just go on about your business. Yeah, you just accept it. But it's interesting, if you say why, you could use that creativity to work around and be like, oh, okay, I see why. Well, here's another solution here that like wasn't even proposed in the first place, because now we know this constraint that you have that we didn't know before which is cool. It's consulting. It's a lot of a lot of advisory work. I've made the joke recently, which nobody will accept this talk, which is fine. That's a separate problem that I'll address later in life. I make the joke that GRC people either make really good CISOs because CISOs spend all their time just like doing board slides and like having to talk to the entirety of the business, which GRC people do as well, versus some of your more quote unquote technical roles, or they make really good therapists. Because people just come to you and talk to you about like, ah, this doesn't work and this is why it doesn't work. And I have these problems here and this and that. And you're just like, okay, cool. Well, how can we figure out like a way forward? So you always end up in one or the other. That's hilarious. Why won't that get accepted? I would accept that at my conference. Probably. And I'm going to be real honest when I get very lazy sometimes with my submissions. So I don't get too bent out of shape because I, I should put more effort and I'm just like, I'm tired. And I'm just like, I have a good idea and I'm gonna throw it out there and like, hope for the best. And now for this week's content tip by Content Workshop. Attention is your audience's most valuable resource. What you're asking your audience for is to surrender their most valuable resource, their attention. There is fierce competition for this resource. Every piece of content you create should take jealous care of something your audience will never get back, their time. Content needs to deliver on the values that you promise. That was another amazing content tip by Content Workshop. Learn more about Content Workshop storytelling services and how they help cybersecurity companies achieve ROI through amazing content and storytelling at contentworkshop.com. 
So what are some of Tara's other passions? Talk to us about that pure magic. Um, I, everyone, everyone always asks me like, what does that mean? Partially because I'm a huge anime fan, specifically Sailor Moon, which is one of the like super big magical girl animes of all time. And I grew up watching it. And so it being a magical girl has just always been something that I've wanted to the point where I still, I'm too old now, quite literally, but I would wish like, please let by some chance of fate, like all of this Sailor Moon shit be real. And like, I can be one of them in which in hindsight, watching it as an adult is not a great wish because they have to fight and like they die and I don't want that, but whatever, it's cool. I say that I'm a magical girl because I feel like, and hopefully my bosses can attest to this. And if not, that's cool. You give me a thing and I will go and execute. I'll go get it done. I will do whatever, not whatever it takes, but virtually whatever it takes within boundaries that are put around me to go execute. And to me, that is magic. Not everyone is good at that. And that's not me trying to poo-poo on people, but every we all have our, all have our strengths and weaknesses. And mine is to execute based off of like, ambiguity or whatever. I love information. We just did strength finders at work. And like my number one was input because I love data. It brings me so much joy to just mindlessly, not mindlessly, very intentionally collect data to figure out how I can manipulate it and use it and do stuff with it. And also I just feel like black women are magic, um, like the black girl magic movement of years past. So both of those things just speak to me. It's nonsensical in a lot of different ways, but it's fine. One follow-up question on the sort of executing seamlessly. Do you have a system? Because I feel like a lot of us would dream to have sort of a system in the brain where focus, get it done, check that task off, move on to the next thing. Or is it just pre-wired? I think it's just pre-wired. I wish I could say there was a method to my madness. I have my to-do list somewhere. Uh, it's not somewhere it's in my work bag. I have my to-do list that I just go through and I'm like, check, check, check. And obviously I don't always execute at my best every single day because that's just not feasible. And this is just work me, like in my actual functioning life. It's me somewhat some of the times, but my brain will squirrel more in my personal life. And I'm currently in school to get my master's in legal studies. And it's funny because one of my professors was like, your brain, like you have a lawyer's brain and you're able to like take data and flip it and speak on it very quickly. And I'm just like, I don't know. It could also be like neural atypicalness or whatever. It could be a lot of different things, but whatever it is, I am thankful to say it has served me well throughout my career and even well in my personal life because I make backup plans for backup plans, just by proxy of existing. And I, when it comes to like taking trips and stuff, I overpack clothes just because it's like you never know when you'll need an outfit but I love being prepared and so I'll always have just like all the random things that are overlooked and it's like oh no I have that like my fiance yesterday was like do you have a poncho and I was like oh yes actually I do from my trip two years ago to Costa Rica and the one bag that it still was sitting in and I was like yes here's a poncho <laughs> <laughs> I also overpack so I love that I love overpackers <laughs> So I think this is a great segue into actually the reason that we have you on the episode today, Tara, it was because we saw this very, I don't want to say incendiary because it wasn't incendiary to us, but it was incendiary to others for some reason, but this very astute LinkedIn post that you posted about vendors and how they could work better or not 
you know, how not to work with teams when they're selling. So, so the uh, infamous post, I say, oh, hi, hello, a note to vendors across the board. If I tell you that I'm the primary point of contact and decision maker for a thing, do not, I repeat, do not circumvent me or go behind my back to check in with my boss after I've told you we're still in the discovery process multiple times. He knows I'm running the thing. He's trusted me to do it. It's literally why I'm there doing the thing. If when I find out, I will terminate the relationship without hesitation. I am all cutesy and sunshine and rainbows and magic until I'm not. I don't tolerate this behavior at all. Thanks in advance. So I think what was surprising when you posted that and something that you and I had a discussion about on the pre-call was that people were mad about your post. They were mad, mad, like mad, mad, mad. Like really mad? What was, we don't, we're not going to name anyone or identify anyone, but like, what was some of the comments that you got? Like maybe the general gist. One person said, of course, that someone would go behind my back because I don't stay at a job for more than a year to two years, which means they took the time to go through and look at my true profile and see how long I have stayed at jobs. One person said essentially that it wasn't nice of me to say that. And I was like, well, I, did, I didn't name anyone like whatsoever. I, I don't do that. But they would never want to do business with a company that allows such behavior or with a person that allows such behavior. There was some other stuff where I was just like, oh, this is wild. Like, what? I think that sometimes sales teams are coached are coached by their teams and by their leaders to actually go and find other people to invite into the deal to make it quote unquote more sticky. But that said, what you said is totally valid. And that has happened to me too, because people sell to marketers all the time as well. And it is super annoying when you're like, no, thank you. Or no, or Hey, we're working on it. Cause it sounds like you weren't even saying no, you were just saying we're working on it. Like calm down, you know, we'll be back later. We'll let you know. And then people go around your back and go to your boss or go to salespeople or go to other people in the team and like start trying to sell them. You know, what's even more annoying is when they go around you, find someone else in the company and that someone else is now interested and comes back to you and says, yes, let's get this through or something like that. And that's happened to me before. And that's really annoying because you don't understand that other person that actually wants to put this through. You don't understand the bandwidth on this side. You don't understand why we maybe said no, maybe now, not now, later. I don't know why anyone who is selling a product would make those comments to you publicly on like a forum where everyone could see. It's not couth, right? It's uncouth. Is that a word? Yes. Thank you. Mm. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, it was very interesting. It's. I think it was the very first time that at least on LinkedIn, that I was sitting there and I remember talking to my boss about it. And I was just like, I don't know how I feel about any of this. And I'd like to say I have relatively thick skin, but I'm still just like, I just didn't understand the behavior. It completely baffled me that people really took very personal and professionally personable, personally professional, whatever, like jabs at me as a person, because I was like, Hey, can you just like, if you're a vendor, talk to me and don't talk to my boss. Thanks. And a part of me, I can't help. Like, it's unfortunate that my brain defaults to this, but it does. I can't help but to think it's because I'm a woman. It's because I'm a black woman that people are like, I'm going to show my whole ass to you because I just am. If it were a man, it would be very different, but nope, you're a black woman. And so I will absolutely just, because let's say for instance, and people have done this before, would I have been in the wrong if I took screenshots of everyone who was mean to me and went to their employer and was like, hey, 
your person said this about me and I don't like that, then I'm in the wrong if I do something like that. But it's like, you're making personal, you're taking jabs at me. I won't even say personal attacks, but taking jabs for no reason. It's really a missed opportunity for these sales folks and these vendors and the people who said mean things on your post. It's really a mislearning opportunity and a misconnection post if, point, you know, like there's stuff when you're, you're buying products, there's stuff that the people who are selling products can learn. And I also agree with you that it probably does have a lot to do with your race and your gender in how people react and comment publicly on your post as well. Yeah. And I remember one person was like, essentially have empathy for salespeople. And I was like, I do have empathy for salespeople. I couldn't do it. I do not have the, the any, anything to be a salesperson whatsoever. The personality, the skills, none of it. So I have a lot of empathy for them. And I, I can only imagine, especially when we're looking at the economy being what it is and everyone's tightening their purse strings and whatever. I know it's hard, but I, I have every right to still say I have boundaries around it. And yes, I will terminate a business relationship because you've overstepped a boundary like that is okay to do which is another I don't know I don't know if it it's around like people feeling like you're not allowed to have professional boundaries or something but no I have empathy for everyone that I've come across because shit ain't easy like it's just not if they were getting pressure from their management that is unfortunate but at the same time like my I said what I said so you're a person who who thinks about things as partnerships what can be done in a, how can things be done better? Like how, when you're buying a product, you know, for the company, any company that you're working with, how do you prefer to be engaged with if you prefer it all? Or, or, or are you someone who does all the research on your own and then reaches out? Like, how do you typically deal with the process and how can it be better? Cause it definitely, how you post it in your LinkedIn, that's not, that's not a good look for, for vendors. Uh, usually my boss just punts something over to me. He's like, hey, go look into this vendor. And I just say, okay. There's a fine line that we as security industry have to be better about is just like buying a bunch of tools for the sake of buying tools than having an environment full of poorly implemented tools that open more holes than not. But that's not why we're here. So I'll usually just like reach out to whoever the person is. And I don't know, we can just like treat each other like normal like, that's the best that I got. Like, I'm a person, you're a person. We don't have to make this weird, like, don't treat me as, like, money cattle, I guess. Like, what's also funny is I made a vendor appreciation post, actually, and I have another one that I need to do. But I made a vendor appreciation post, and I tagged him, and I want to say I tagged the company and everything. Not nearly as much traction as my 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 mean post. No, of course not. Humans love drama. They love drama, especially on social media. That's what attracts engagement. And that is so, so sad, honestly. It's just it's crazy. In my post, I was just like, thank you for just treating me like a person. Like we had talked about, obviously, all the business stuff. And he kept in contact with me in a normal like way, where if I said, hey, we're still trying to figure something out, or we've reached like this roadblock or hodl, he's like, well, just let me know. Or if, you know, some time had passed, he would just send an email. Hey, just checking in. There were no phone calls, no text messages, no going to my boss, no nothing. And I made it very clear, like they had been trying to do business with us before and stuff just didn't work out. And so I'm like, I'm sure you have other contacts in the company. Okay, cool. Great. But you're working with me. So like work with me. And they said, okay. And they did that. And then we would like start our calls just talking about random life stuff. Like for instance, this was around the time for anyone who likes video games where The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom was about to drop. And 
I remember it was the night before the actual release and I had got on the call and I was basically ranting about, I wanted a collector's edition. And I was like, I will fight someone for this collector's edition. And they just laughed and they thought it was funny. And then the next time we talked, they were like, well, did you have to fight anyone? And I was like, no, actually, like my fiance was able to find one online and everything was fine. And they're like, oh, that's nice. Or I had recently gotten engaged and he was just like, oh, congratulations. Like, when's your wedding date? My daughter is also getting married soon. Like he wrote down my wedding date. Not to say that he's going to buy me a gift or anything. And I don't care if he does or doesn't. But like every time we would talk, it would still be like, how's wedding planning going? And I was telling him how before I had started going back to school, like, oh, I'm thinking about going to law school. And he's like, oh, my other daughter is actually in law school in Miami. And I don't think that he was just like making this up as happenstances. But even if he was, it worked because it made me just feel like a normal person and that we had a normal relationship. Another vendor that I'm working with right now, very similar, just like check-in emails. We exchanged phone numbers because we just needed to exchange phone numbers because we were like meeting up for a happy hour. And you know, vendor happy hours can be a toss up because you either go and they just talk to you about like the work stuff, which is fine. Like that's what they're there for. Just like some of us just show up for free food. It's a mutual symbiotic thing that we sign. But I was like, ah, I wasn't having a good day that day. And I remember that very specifically. And I was like, man, I really don't want to go to this happy hour and just talk about like go from work to like more work stuff when I'm already in a crap mood. But instead, it was just me and her, and we sat and we talked about like life and traveling and our families and growing up and stuff like that. And then at the end, it was just like, oh, yeah, well, we're supposed to like meet later on this week and talk about like the stuff and the POC, and it'll be great. And I was like, yeah, cool, it was great. And I had texted her afterwards and I told her, like, thank you for the happy hour because it actually like turned my day around. And she was like, yeah, of course. So it's, humanity that I feel like is missing in everything at this stage in the game. And I feel like the pandemic did play a part in us having like a huge lapse in humanity from being inside for a year and some change. And in my opinion, even before the pandemic, the security community as a whole lacks humanity in a lot of different ways, lacks a lot, lacks a lot of humanity, lacks a lot of emotional intelligence, lacks a lot of just a lot that I won't say is like in other industries, but in ours, when you look at the crisis of what is it, we have 2 million jobs open and we can't get butts and seats fast enough. Or I remember I saw an interesting post on LinkedIn one day where somebody was like, I'm in security, but I want to get away from it, which you hardly ever hear. And I feel like there's a lot of people that have been in security and that, and that was a man, first of all, that said it, which was wild because it, there's a lot of women who get insecurity that do want to get away from it for various other different reasons. But in general, we have this very toxic mentality, I feel like. And as long as it continues to perpetuate, we'll always have the problems of people don't want to continue to work. Or like one of my old bosses, Jamie Tomasillo, says all the time, she's like, I don't understand people in general, but especially security people who glorify not sleeping. Like actively choosing not to sleep unlike you know if you can't sleep she's like do people understand how much sleep actually does for you like sleep is important or otherwise our bodies wouldn't do it and like how many poor decisions have been made because people just were actually choosing not to sleep because we carry a lot of burden as security professionals because 
bad shit can happen. I'll never not say like, yeah, some of us do legitimately work in industries where lives are on the line. And that's scary and it's terrifying. And it's a lot that like sits on your chest, especially having worked in the federal government where lives legitimately were on the line, depending on how certain things shook and move or healthcare spaces, or, I mean, we're building a plane and, you know, a lot of of bodies on a plane where people probably feel compelled to not sleep, but it's like, you're actually doing yourself and everyone around you a disservice. Anyway, that's not why we're here or what we're here to talk about. My very short answer of that very long tirade is we should all just treat each other like humans and with mutual respect. And if I say, hey, we're still trying to figure it out. Take my words for it. We're still trying to figure it out. If the answer is also no, the answer is no. I've had to tell some vendors no recently where I was like, hey, it's not a good time, but can we at least stay in contact? Yeah, sure, whatever. Easy enough. It's fine. It's fine. Tara, do you think we would have, do you think the security community would have more humanity if it had more women in it? Yes and no. There's a saying in the Black community that all skinfolk ain't kinfolk, which is a way of saying that just because we're both Black or Brown or whatever, that we would we are fighting towards the same cause. And I feel the same way. I feel that way about all underrepresented communities, because there are going to be some women that we all may have potentially come across who are so hardened by life and things and junk where they are willing to throw under women under the bus for the sake of their own progression and advancement. And so if that woman is not capable of being emotionally intelligent, because we, it's not, while we are more potentially, it doesn't necessarily mean that. And then also take into consideration like trans women, the gender spectrum is very large. So yes, there could be more humanity, but people, regardless of your gender or lack thereof, have to be able to show up and do the work and be willing to show up and do the work both on themselves and like across their teams to just have more kindness and grace towards folks of just like life is happening and working harder or longer is not going to stop life from happening elsewhere. Like I've had to tell people if work is impacting you where it's starting to blend over into your personal life, go take a day. I don't care what has to get done for work. Work will still be here. I would much rather your spouse or fiance or kids or whomever is in your personal life is not feeling the brunt because you're pissed off at work because then that goes into other stuff. And I'll never, I'll never forget very early in my career. She was the, she was the head of our directorate and very, 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 very accomplished. And she looked at us, she was just talking to all of us like new baby college, recent graduates or whatever. And she was like, oh yeah, I was married before. But my job is what destroyed my marriage. And I was just like, that's wild. And that for me, that is not something that I want because I want to be married and like I want actual balance in whatever way, shape, or form, knowing it'll never be 50-50. And then we think about how many people have we come across where you're like where you find out like it was their job that destroyed their marriage, their job that makes their kids despise them or not like them. Like it's unfortunate, especially if you have the means where that is avoidable because I have animosity towards my dad for missing some of my stuff as a kid, but it's not like we were rich and he could afford to like take off from work. So it's a little bit different. Whereas if you are comfortable enough financially where, yeah, I can take a day off from work to go to my kid's field day or band competition or whatever, then go do that. Like you have, you can. So many people wish that they could. Thanks for that answer. That was definitely something that 
makes you think and and helps you balance some of the thoughts that we you know sometimes have about I mean on the vendor side right where we are kind of on the outside even though we are on the inside but uh it's always nice to see your perspective should we play a game Maria do you want to explain the game yes although my gosh this is gonna be a tough one Tara you are gonna um my god okay this is going to be tough. And plus, we're rusty, right? This is our first episode in a while. Okay, so Tara, every uh, episode, we, uh, Gianna and I, we try to guess what our guest would be doing professionally, or maybe not professionally, if they weren't working today in their line of work. So today, if you weren't in GRC, security, legal, what else would you be doing? So then Gianna and I will take turns at guessing. And then after that, you tell us how miserable we did. And then you tell us the truth. <laughs> Does that sound good? Sure. Okay, Gianna, I'll let you go first. All right. So this is tough because like 10 minutes in, I was like, oh, lawyer. But now you're getting your law degree. So it's officially like off the table for an option. I actually am not going to be a lawyer and I'm not going to practice. I am, I'm not getting my juris doctorate. I'm just getting a master's, but you're still, I don't want to be a lawyer. Like that is not in my cards. Good. I'm glad I didn't, I didn't cheat and say that then because I would have lost anyway. Okay. So Tara, there's two paths that I think would fit and I'm going to choose the boring one and maybe Maria will choose the interesting one. I think, and and I'm not, it's not boring anyone who's listening who does this or has a a friend who does this, but I think you would be an amazing like sports coach because, hear me out, because you said, well, first off, you're tough. Second off, like you're like no bullshit, right? Like, hey, this is how it is. Like vendors back off. Like this is how things work. Like in sports, there's like plays, right? There's like, but it's creative because at the end you're trying to reach a goal. But there's all these different ways to get there. And at the same time, as you're coaching people, they get to aha moments too, which is also something you mentioned. So that's so I have no idea if you like sports at all, but I'm guessing that because it combines the creativity of moving a ball towards a goal in different ways or swim, I, I don't know, sports, a sport, and the mentoring and helping of people. Maria, you're, t- you're up. Oof, I am. Gosh. You're an open book, Tara, but you are a mystery. (laughs) It's because I'm a Sagittarius for anyone who follows astrology. (laughs) Oh, gosh. I know. So I know you, you, you love advocacy. You do a lot of work there. So I can't say that. Maybe I think I'll go the arts route and say that maybe you would be like a, a wandering artist. Maybe even, I don't know, going into certain places in the world and teaching kids art or something. I, I'm getting like this artist feel for you, like a traveling artist, artist. I don't know. That's it. How how did we do? <laughs> if I had to pick one between the two, I would probably actually lean more towards a traveling artist because when... What? Yes. When I was yes. annoyed with working in my early 20s, I was going to be one of those people that was just going to like... We were from the U.S. and go teach English. Like, I was just going to do it so I could go see the world and, like, do stuff and teach. Even though, like, me, I'm terrified of children. Like, I legitimately, kids scare me. But I was going to figure it out because it meant that I had, like, steady income in another country. And they, like, took care of majority of the things. And I can then just go satisfy my very, very, like, 
large amount of wanderlust. This is not fair. I My answer was so well-reasoned, and Maria was just like, you're a Sagittarius, I don't know, traveling artist. Not fair. I demand an appeal. <laughs> you go to the appellate court. I would say, though, if I weren't doing something in security, my brain always says I would do something with animals. I love animals so much, but then I also am like, I don't have the heart. Like, when bad things happen, then I would take that extremely, like, personally and then just be very sad and also because my cat decided to like sleep next to me and so I was like ah you know <laughs> but realistically I have no idea what to do outside of security I tell this to everyone it's all I've ever done it's all that I've known I didn't transfer into security from another field it's just it's all I got <laughs> awesome security through and through all right. Well, Maria, I think that's it. Tara, thank you so much for being on our show. We have loved this conversation. Yes. Please come back too. I feel like there's so much more we could talk about. <laughs> for sure. Thank you all so much for joining us today. Thanks for your loyalty, our listeners. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends and your family and colleague about this show. As usual, a new episode drops every Wednesday unless we decide to take the summer off and go <laughs> to other countries and take a little break, which we did, and it was uh, well-deserved. Gianna, not as long a break as me, but uh, we're back fresh with an amazing lineup of awesome guests. And yeah, tune in to us uh, every Wednesday and see you all next time. <laughs> <laughs>